feel so blessed to know God in that way. And so much wish the rest of the world could come to know. Because uh, what a peace, no matter what goes on in your life, no matter what this world throws at you, to repeat those words, God, you know me. You see me. You don't just see me, but you know me through and through. You know everything about me. And you love me. And that love is not a judgmental love waiting to find a way to punish you, to correct you. And the other, the other line I just celebrated so much when, when, from the, another song where we're talking about this is a place where I love to run and play. But that line in there that says, this is a place where religion finally dies. Where we get over that trap that's a man-made world where we, we want rules and regulations. We want to have a way in which we can judge our behavior by rules and regulations as opposed to just engaging in the love relationship that God desires of us. Uh, and um, and that leads to the third song that really hit me, and that is, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. And I think that's really what these messages that we've got as we're approaching Easter are about. Um, ben last week was talking about the prodigal son and talking about the perspectives from that message of seeing it through the eyes and the intention of what God wanted us to see. So many people do focus upon the prodigal son, the son, and, 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 and looking at how he needed to turn his life around. But when you focus on that, you fail to understand what is in there is the abundant love and grace of the Father. That's the message. That's the, that's the God that we run and play with. That's the God who knows us through and through. And that's, that's what we have to open our minds of our heart to. Where, 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 where our lives and our hearts and our minds are in sync with the knowledge of that God who has that abundant love, who's not sitting around grading us and deciding do I qualify for his love? He's just waiting for us to turn to him. And then he runs to meet us. He's prepared to give us everything. And if we're blessed enough to know that relationship, then we have to understand the message he gave to what, what many would regard as the good son, the son who stayed behind and did everything he was supposed to do uh, but that son then resented the grace that was being given to the other son. And, and what the father said to him is something we always have to remember. He says, I've given you everything. You've been in my presence. What more could you want? And, and why would you deny that to somebody else? You know, that's a lesson I had taught in, when I was back in youth ministry. Uh, we talked about, and I've, I've shared before, um, so, uh, the person who 
on their deathbed has lived a, a horrible life in the eyes of the world and has sinned and has done all kinds of horrible things. And on their deathbed, they come to realize that they need a relationship with God. And they seek it. And, and there are people who say, that's not fair. And I think, what a condemnation of our faith if we think getting away with waiting until the last minute to find your faith, was somehow you got away with something. I mean, that's the, that's the mindset of the good son and the prodigal son. Uh, and they didn't realize that you got the presence of God in your life, the whole life. What did the other person get away with? They lived their life without that knowledge. And, and you know, if, if we can't embrace that, then we haven't opened the eyes of our heart to knowing the value of knowing that love of God. Uh, and, and that's what people need to see out of us is that we know that, that we, 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 we live with that joy. And, and I think the whole purpose, the whole purpose of church, of any message any pastor would ever give, the purpose of any worship song we ever sing, is to put us in tune with that, is, is to get us focused on that knowledge so that we're thinking with the heart that God desires for us. Scripture has talked about God said he would replace our hearts of stone. Hearts of stone come from the world, the way the world um, causes us to focus on things. And, and frankly, hearts of stone come from religion that focuses on the do's and the don'ts instead of upon the love. And God's promised us he would replace our hearts of stone with hearts of flesh. And that's the process of, of God's recreation, as I say it. God created us, and we, we decreated ourselves. Uh, uh, we lessened ourselves uh, and, and looked at worldly wisdom and and then we, we wanted a God that made sense to us. And I think that's really what the Old, Old, the Old Testament was all about is God trying to demonstrate that we don't really want what we claim we wanted. That we, we want to know what the rules and the regulations are. And then we want to know what steps we need to take to get back into our relationship, uh, which is the sacrificial offerings and, and, and things. Uh, and, and we think that's what we want, and, and the Old Testament just proved that doesn't work. You, we don't, it doesn't do us any good to know the rules and regulations. We'll never be good enough if we think that that's the test, is whether we're good enough to qualify. But that was never God's way to begin with. God's way has always been Love. And that's when he sent his one and only son to walk on the earth to demonstrate to us what it's really all about uh, and, and how we really tap into the power of being the focus of a God who sees us and knows us 
and loves us through and through. And what that gives you is that very next line in that song, that I feel that I'm safe and warm in your loving arms. And that's true regardless of the, of the back pains. <laughs> R- regardless of uh, financial difficulties. Regardless of anything this world throws at us. Is that we can have that comfort of knowing. That God's on our side. And these light and momentary troubles, and believe me, I know they don't seem light and momentary, and if you were in my household last evening, you would know how unfaithfully (laughs) I responded to my back pain uh, and slammed a door when I couldn't find the ibuprofen. (laughs) I look at it now and I realize how horrible my behavior was. (laughs) <laughs> and particularly in light of giving this message, uh, it, 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 um, my, my behavior was self-focused. Um, uh, and um, harmful. Worse than being harmful to my loved ones. What kind of a testimony was it to my faith? Um, and the people in my household um, who uh, were witnessing. Uh, I mean, I'd spent part of the evening preparing my message. You would think I would be pretty grounded in my message. (laughs) Uh, But how many, you guys have heard this before. Uh, And one thing I've always tried to make sure I know is, don't believe simply because I'm up here giving the message that I've got it right. Yeah. There was, I think it's Chuck Swindoll once said, I'm just one beggar helping other beggars find a crust of bread. Uh, And and I think that's what we all are. We, we, through our own experiences, uh, we're each working together to um, come to know our relationship with God better uh, through each of our own experiences so that we can enjoy the benefits of the knowledge of this loving God so we can use that as we walk through this world as we're looking forward to our real home. And that's what the perspective we always have to know is that this is momentary. The real home is eternal. And when I get in that real home, there won't be this back pain. Uh, there won't be this imperfect person who reacts poorly. Um, we will be immersed in this love. But we can't satisfy ourselves as saying, wait till then. We have a responsibility to work our best to find that and allow God to create that heart in us now. So I've gone over what last week's message uh, about 
the love of the father, the abundant love and grace of the father in the prodigal son story, the, the different perspective we can look there. And I labeled this message also proper perspective allows proper response to God. And that may sound very similar if, if you recall, I gave a message a while back where I put up an ink blot and, and, or a picture and, and how, how you would look at it. And in one instance, you would see trees. and In another instance, you, you would see a lion, face of a lion, uh, depending on how your perspective was. Well, I think that's really the whole purpose of Scripture and of our passages and our... our, our uh, it got placed up there. That, that was it. <laughs> uh, I see it on, a, on, the, on the phone, which lets me know what's, what's up on the screen behind me. It, technology amazes me. Uh, how, what a blessing it can be if we use it uh, appropriately, but what a, uh, a disaster it can be when we get so immersed in it that we take ourselves out of the world and, uh, and what we need to be doing. Uh, but... But that perspective that Ben gave us last week of looking at the prodigal son, not from about how necessary it was for the son who had um, wasted his fortune to, to turn around, but to focus instead on the perspective of the amazing love of the father and how that different perspective gives us a better view of the kingdom and, and helps us uh, so much more in, in understanding uh, our relationship. This week we have another interesting passage. And you can probably tell I'm ad-libbing uh, and not following my notes. In a way I'm following my notes because they help me with the groundwork. What I believe I do when I study for a message is I study it and I try to immerse myself in it. Uh, but then when I get up here, what I do is I trust that I've studied it and immersed myself in it. And I trust the Holy Spirit then to guide me in, in actually delivering the message the way God wants me to um, and not the way I necessarily had structured it. Um, and so, um, you know, my, my goal is to do that and be true to that. Uh, and, and follow the path that God does. And that's why so often I enjoy listening uh, to the music because the music taps into that uh, and it, it opens up the eyes of my heart and it opens me up to, to go where God is maybe leading me to go as opposed to where I had specifically planned to go. But in today's passage then, excuse me, Greg, We've got in John 12, 1 through 8, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now, um, in, in context, we've got this situation now where Jesus has uh, raised Lazarus from the dead, and, and this process has brought a whole bunch of new believers, a bunch of excited people. People are paying attention. I mean, you can imagine <laughs> if we had someone raised from the dead in our community, that that would um, cause a stir. Um, hopefully it would cause a lot of new believers. We think that that's what would do it. 
Yeah. We would think wisdom would tell us that's what we need. If God would just raise some from the dead right now, uh, people would believe. But, but history has shown that that doesn't necessarily accomplish uh, the result. It's got to be a different um, taking in of this information. But so that's, that's the background that this, this, um, there's a lot, of, a lot of excitement because of that. And there's a lot of more people uh, interested in falling around. And, and also at this same time, we know that Jesus is starting to prepare for his exit from being physically present on this earth. Uh, and I think that's a really important way to, to say it, his exit from being physically present on this earth, because that's a part of the perspective that we have to keep in mind. He spent a time physically on this earth to give us an example, but then he also left with us his spirit so that he's always present on this earth when he's present with us uh, with his spirit. But basically, he multiplied himself by, by coming into us. Uh, at least that's the purpose of it. So, here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among these reclining at the table with him. I think this is an important point to keep in mind now. Lazarus is there. This is a guy who was dead. And now he's eating dinner with Jesus. This picture we're seeing is that life and death don't have the same meaning when you're in relationship with Jesus. You know, death is not the end of things when you're in relationship with Jesus. And I think that's part of this picture that's going on because Jesus is also preparing them now for his own death. <laughs> and he's wanting them to get this mindset, this understanding. So Lazarus was among them reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, for many of us, this would seem pretty bizarre behavior. <laughs> you know, you're having this little gathering, and all of a sudden she's deciding uh, to wash Jesus' feet and to anoint him with this perfume. And in many ways, it is bizarre behavior, although the host of a house, in those days, because people didn't wear, it was dusty and things, and their feet would often get dirty, would often provide for and allow for the washing of a guest's feet. Uh, and that would be a, a sign of honoring your guest. Uh, but the host apparently didn't do that here. But Mary takes on this role, but adds to it. She doesn't just do the feet washing. She adds to it the use of this expensive perfume. Um, and Judas, now if we were watching this and we had dubbed in music, there would be maybe hiss and boo when Jesus' name is mentioned. Judas's name is mentioned. But um, Judas was a disciple and a follower. However, throughout the story, there have been times Aspects of Judas have been revealed. Um, one thing that um, people had studied was Judas was part of the zealots who were expecting a uh, powerful savior who was going to physically overthrow, and that over time, Judas was getting 
disillusioned with this guy who was just being peaceful <laughs> and who wasn't fighting back uh, in the way and wasn't raising an army to overthrow the oppressors. Um, we also know that Judas was, um, he was um, indicated to be um, a, a variety of things that, of negatively. In this passage, they reveal that he was also controlling a lot of the purse strings and would use some of the money and things for his own purposes. But I don't think, you know, when that's added, I don't think that's necessary to know. I, I mention it only because it's in, if you read the scripture, it's there. Um, and it, but it does it's help you know his heart. Uh, but I don't think we need to know that necessarily to a, a, a appreciate what's going on. But here Judas enters, and Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray Jesus, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. And here they say, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Now, again, I, you know, there, it's obviously important to be there or it wouldn't be in Scripture, but I don't think it's necessary for the purposes of my message today to know that. And I don't even think it's necessary to believe he did not uh, care about the poor. You know, that's not, I don't think, the importance of, of, of what was going on here. What he wasn't appreciating was the importance of what Mary was doing. He wasn't appreciating the depth of the act Mary was doing. And that's where Jesus' next statements are properly uh, construed. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, you can imagine some people have taken this to indicate and try to argue that we shouldn't care so much about all the poor uh, because we're never going to do away with be people being poor. Uh, but obviously that wasn't Jesus' uh, intention here. Uh, he wasn't saying it's not important to care for the poor. What he was saying is in this moment, in this act that came from the heart of Mary, She was honoring Jesus. She saw the nature of Jesus. She saw as he was walking and, 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 and wanted to simply honor him. It also had greater context because of the um, perfume being expensive. So what she was doing was more than simply washing his feet, which would have been an act of honoring him and caring for him. She anointed him with expensive perfume, which was an extravagant act of honoring and recognizing him, showing not a concern. I mean, Mary isn't portrayed as being a rich person. Uh, what it was showing was a lack of concern about the value of this item in the world and a greater focus on the value of this item as something which I can honor Jesus with. 
it was a perspective of placing an eternal value on something versus a, a worldly temporary value. And I think that's an example that we can't be too extravagant in our love of God. I've said it before and I'll say it again. We can never outgive God. Uh, when we think we've dug, dug deep and given, you know, God will always be able to give more and always has given more. And so what this was saying is where our heart really should be, that the focus is on how do I honor God with whatever I have. It also gave the opportunity for Jesus to discuss again the fact that he was soon going to be dying. The, 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 the perfume here clearly was something that the odor itself led people to know it was of value. And the odor itself also led people to know that this is something that is often used for burial services. So it gave up those, those, those things that um, God will often do with us, is that he will involve our entire senses. He created a world that has more than just words in it. It's got sense, sounds, uh, beauty. Uh, and what this is doing is it's using all of our senses, not just... Um, in fact, Mary doesn't use words at all in her actions. She uses touch, human touch, human sensation. She uses her hair. She uses uh, an, an, uh, uh, a perfume that's, that smells. She doesn't say what she's doing. She just does it. But everything involved, the, the sensuousness, people have talked about that, the intimacy with which she was um, addressing her, her honoring of Jesus, uh, is, is a, an important factor here that we all have to remember is that our relationship with God is all of that. It, it involves our entire person, everything, everything about our being. And that's what Mary was demonstrating here. Is she, was, she was giving her whole self into this honoring of Jesus. While Judas is the perfect betrayal of a religious attitude of, wait, no, there are right ways to do things and wrong ways to do things. That perspective would say, hey, we should allocate our resources to, to do things the right way, and, 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 and you just didn't do it. I can imagine a body of church uh, elders uh, engaging in this battle over how we should allocate our resources, uh, it would be, um, and 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 I guarantee you, there are a huge number of people who agree with Judas's attitude here. Who agree that it would be better to sell this perfume? I mean, think of the greater good we could do. How many people we could help, and wouldn't that be honoring Jesus? I mean, you can see the arguments, and it makes sense in the world. And what, what this message is here for, I believe, is to say we need a different perspective. We need to remember who our focus should be on. Yes, because of God, we should care about the poor. It should flow out of that. 
but it starts with our understanding of who God is. The God who sees me and knows me and loves me through and through. That's the God who desires my devotion, who deserves my devotion, and through giving it will grow me into the person that does what I'm supposed to do instinctively instead of out of obligation. You see, a system of rules and regulations has an appearance of wisdom, but it doesn't create people who love freely. It creates robots who follow rules and regulations. Faith is seeking to know God, the God of all creation, who seeks to be known and reveals himself as love and full of grace. This passage today gives us a lesson in perspective that, that causes us to focus upon that God and that relationship instead of what specifically am I supposed to do here or there? If we focus specifically on rules and regulations, we, we're always trying to figure out well, how does this situation fit and what, what should I really do here? And, and have I met the minimum requirements? But when it's about a relationship, then we're responding in each moment by what does love require of me in this moment not what is my minimum requirements but what does love require of me in this moment that is responding with the merry heart the heart of of, of just seeking to honor my God seeking to honor with everything I've got that heart just drops to the knees washes his feet uses the rich oil that I've got because I'm, I'm not thinking about what steps are the best steps to run the best ministry. I'm just seeking to respond to this God who loves me with the same intensity of love. And we translate that over then into the way we interact with each other. And, and, and when we do that, we don't snap and yell at our loved ones <laughs> when we're not feeling good. Uh, we, we, we try to be better than that. Uh, uh, fortunately, God sees me and he knows me and he loves me through and through. <laughs> Even if maybe I, I shouldn't always be so loved. Uh, but, but thankfully, God's love, um, God loves exceeds our, our, um, our worthiness. Religion um, wants to equate uh, being able to receive God's love with um, meeting rules and regulations and being worthy. Faith is knowing that God has already declared you worthy. You didn't do a thing to deserve his love and grace. We didn't have to earn Jesus Christ willingly going to the cross. 
He did it because he said, you are worthy. We just have to embrace that and know that and quit trying to earn it and just live it. It's a contrast between motives. But that contrast between motives reveals what is our perspective of God. Are we perceiving him as a God who would want to see that the prodigal son, when he's coming back, makes sure he really means it when he's repentant? Do we, we, do we perceive a God who would want to see, wait a minute, i got to see if he really means it? Or do we have the perspective of a God who, as soon as he sees the son, runs to him to embrace him? The God who loves abundantly, whose grace exceeds anything bad we could do. Do we have that perspective? If we have that perspective, what I would say is that then creates the heart that God can work with. But we have to really embrace it. It's one thing for us to say it, but the other thing is we have to embrace it. It takes us away from the believing that, wait a minute, I screwed up, so now I, I've got to wait and, and, and clean myself up first before God can use me. I mean, if I, if I had that attitude right now, I would not be up here speaking today because I screwed up last night. And I haven't yet corrected that situation. I haven't apologized. I haven't repented. Well, I, I think I've repented, uh, if anybody listens to this. Uh, but, um, but I haven't apologized. I haven't repented face to face. And if I had to wait to be used by God, uh, then I couldn't be in front of you. Um, but God doesn't restrict his use of me to only when I'm perfect. In fact, I think God sometimes does his best work with us when we're imperfect, uh, because it's all of us imperfect people make up the family of God. And when I fall, one of you picks up the pieces. When you fall, hopefully, I'm part of the ones who pick up the pieces. And together, we show how love works. In the Old Testament, God said clearly, this, this method of when you guys sin, then you do a sacrifice and you burn incense or do you do other stuff like that, it just doesn't work. <laughs> in, in Isaiah, he said, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you? 
this trampling of my courts. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. Yeah, what, what he's saying is, you know, they developed a pattern of, well, I'm going to sin, but then I'll just take a burnt offering in, and I'll atone for it, and then I'll be cleansed. And they weren't realizing the heart of what God wants. He just wants us to do right. And in fact, he finishes it up in, later in that passage at, at Isaiah. Um, in fact, I know which, which Isaiah passages it's from, so you'll have to look at my notes to find that out. Uh, but at, at verse 16, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. What he's saying is, you got this system of you do wrong, then you do a sacrifice. He says, just get over all of that and come to know my heart and just do right from my heart. I will be with you and guide you. You don't need to mess with all of that other stuff. Uh, come to know me. Uh, and, and that's what I think this passage is, is, is. Mary wasn't fulfilling some obligation. She wasn't trying to correct for some failures that she had. She wasn't trying to do anything other than express her love of a God who has revealed himself to be love. The difference is the heart of the matter. It's, it's, am I acting from my heart or am I acting from my head? Am I thinking this out or am I just living the love that God has revealed to me? Jesus is pointedly asserting the priority of honoring him. Jesus is receiving this honor and acknowledging the value of Mary honoring him. Now, and some people could say, wow, that's, that's un-Jesus-like. Uh, but, but, but Jesus is just letting it be seen that honoring God is appropriate behavior. Uh, it, it, it is just a natural outflow of his loving us. Flowing from our adoration of God will be the fruitless acts of giving, selfless giving. It will flow from that if we, expect, if we truly acknowledge the selfless act of our God, the, 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 the love that God has for us. It's only through that, only through opening ourselves up and our entire senses up to all that God has given us and appreciating that this is the God who is the God of creation, who does see everything about me, know everything about me, and still loves me through and through. He's not saying, I love these good parts about you. He's saying, I love you. I love you. Unconditionally, I love you. The importance here is that that's what Mary was saying back to Jesus in that moment, saying, Mary was saying, I see you, and I know you, and I'm honoring you 
with these acts in an extravagant way because you deserve me to honor you in that way. Mary was revealing her heart that understood this relationship with Jesus. And that contrast between the religious, structured, worldly attitude of Judas with the openness and the free loving of Mary is a contrast that we need to um, grasp if we really are going to apply our faith in a proper way in this world. And that's the, um, the song, if we're going to really dance with the Father God in fields of grace, religion attitudes has to die. It's got to be about the love relationship. Uh, and that's how we dance with the Father God in fields of grace. We have to freely understand the grace. We have to freely embrace the grace. And we have to freely give that grace to everyone else to join in that dance. And that's the perspective, I think, that this whole prospect gets us to. And as we move forward today... Um, with communion, we do so on the verge of also celebrating a horrific act of crucifixion uh, when our Lord and Savior freely gave up his physical life through the suffering of the cross. His broken body and his blood was poured out not unlike the washing of the feet with a precious oil, we have the washing of our lives with this precious blood. We celebrate that, not because we're proud that Jesus had to die on the cross, but we celebrate it because of the act of love that was demonstrated, the grace that was given, that we can be called children of God, through his love and his grace. So as we um, move to communion, we'll say a prayer beforehand. As we move to communion, keep that in mind, that this is remembering that Jesus' body was freely broken for you. Jesus' blood was freely poured out for you. He didn't wait for you to do anything to earn it. He freely offered it with the love and the grace of God. Take this in in remembrance because the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming to believers is that we then, in remembrance of this, can do likewise in the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us with our perspective. Help us to grasp the love relationship you want with us, grounded in your love and your grace towards us, that you aren't seeking robots who follow rules and regulations, but you're seeking humans with hearts of flesh, 
that come to love because love is the right way to live. Who come to give grace because grace is the right way to live. Help us, Father, to implement these things in our lives so that they will be instinctive reactions in response to the love and the grace you have shown us that we don't make others meet rules or regulations to deserve our love and our grace. Help it to be true, Father, not just a concept. Write it on our hearts so that it can be part of each and every moment of our lives. Father, in this way, help us to honor you. Help us to bring blessing and glory to you. Help the world to see you uh, in a way that changes the way we do things here. In all ways, Father, we look forward to that day when you come. But in the, in the meantime, help us to be your faithful and loyal servants. Father, we lift this up to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank mm -hmm. you.